Hi there, everyone. You're listening to the Going and Growing podcast. On this show, we explore joyful, intentional, and simple living amidst the chaos of going and growing. I'm your host, Annie Brinkman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Going and Growing podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm so glad you're here. And if you end up loving what you hear today, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast to get the most recent episodes when they come out. There's a ton of new ones coming your way in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned. Today, I will be talking with Jess Peak, And guys, I am so, so excited for you to hear this conversation. Similar to the first episode, this one also touches on the notion of change. We talk about the various plans we make for ourselves as young adults and why, in many ways, such strict plans and ideals can often be really unrealistic. Jess shares her own journey in discerning first jobs and finding herself. And we discuss what it means to be rooted in self and how one can come to know stability, specifically stability of spirit. Honestly, guys, this stuff is so good. So keep listening. A little bit about Jess. Jess studied theology and anthropology at the University of Notre Dame and got her master's at the University of Dayton. We're pretty much doing it opposite. <laughs> she is currently the director of university ministry at the University of St. Francis in Illinois. So all in all, Jess is one smart cookie, let me tell you. Although extremely wise and talented, Jess is also such a goofball and adventurous soul with some pretty crazy travel stories. And honestly, I really, I hope one comes up somehow in this podcast because um, they're crazy. They're insane. If not, you guys have to reach out and ask you about them. I had such a fun time recording this episode of Jess, and and I'm so, so sure her stories and honestly just knowledge will resonate with so many of you as well. When we first actually called to catch up and just chat about what this conversation could potentially look like, um, I think we ended up for talking for like a few hours, like in the middle of the night, um, just going back and forth and at one point, Jess literally got on the floor and was like using coasters and her coffee table as like a diagram for me to talk about like psychology or something. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember Jess, but it was amazing. And I'm so pumped for y'all to share just that level of wisdom and excitement that she has for this topic. Um, so let's get started. Hello, Jess, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. I just feel so honored to be <laughs> part of this experience and so great. I think, yeah, like you said, just catching up and, and seeing where both of us are. Um, I think when we first met each other, when we were both at UD um, and just seeing the places we've both come. And so I'm really mm-hmm. excited to be able to talk about that in this conversation, just where, where all of us end up just going in our lives as we all, you know, come together and go apart in different ways and come back together to share those experiences. Yes, ah, I love that. Um, and with that said, I guess I have a few questions. Or for those that don't know you, um, how would you kind of describe yourself and what makes you feel at your best? Um, I always have a hard time describing myself because I do feel, well, I, I describe myself often as a very complex person mm-hmm. in that, like you said, <laughs> I'm very nerdy in the sense that I think people forget sometimes like when they're talking to me because I'm also not like, I don't know, I'm a very adventurous and outgoing and silly person, but I really love 
academia. I love reading really dense theology and philosophy and psychology and stuff. So um, yeah, pretty complex, I guess would be the thing to say. But I think it's just because I find life to be so big and, and you know, why limit yourself to, to one little box? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, when I'm at my best, I think I'm kind of mixing in all of the elements of myself. So like some of my best moments are like having really deep philosophical conversations at the end of the day of a long like hiking trip, camping trip, like, right? Like being out there in the wilderness and doing silly things during the day. And then like sitting around a bonfire at night and just like discussing the meaning of life. Of course. <laughs> I feel like most people would be like exhausted. <laughs> like fuels your creative thinking. I've also spent a camping trip reading out loud um, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child script to some friends too. So, you know, I just apparently have really interesting camping experiences um, and just really nerdy ones too which is great. <laughs> Hold off on that because I do have a question for your, your travel stories. <laughs> um, next one, what is something that you're loving right now? And that can be anything. Loving right now. I have been really excited about the uh, momentum that's been going around with conversations um, of race relations in our country, um, particularly after all the things that have been going on in, you know, the Black Lives Matter movements and protests and stuff, I feel like the conversations that I've been having at my university and just with different friend groups has been really exciting and have been reading a lot and been watching a lot, um, like just, you know, watching Just Mercy and um, even just finished like Dear White People and, on Netflix and and just being able to, I'm reading a um, book, um, Me and White Supremacy, with some coworkers at work, and we're talking about how we're going to, you know, do better at that. And so, um, yeah, that's something I've been just really excited about is just the momentum around being able to have real conversations about really uncomfortable topics. I think that's like where change happens. So that's been really great. That's true. I definitely think there's, not that I've lived for a really long time to speak to this, but it definitely seems like there's such an openness to having like those hard conversations and like meeting people where they are in that process, you know? And I think there's, yeah, that's, that's definitely been really exciting. I would agree with that. What is your craziest travel story? (laughs) Have to have that one in there. I have so many (laughs) travel stories, but I always go back to, I think the craziest place I've been to was the Gambia mostly because we went completely unprepared and we're like, we'll just wing it. Like, which is not, the Gambia is not a place you can go and wing. Um, It's like a very different culture. Um, And I was just like a naive 20 year old who was like, we can do this whole backpacking thing. We don't need to prepare about where we are and like the context of what we're going into. Um, So like a lot of things ensued, but also like, just naturally it was like in terms of traveling that was the craziest travel experience Mm -hmm. because even just like getting place to place nothing ever went as expected like between the number of taxis that like we had or that broke down to ferries that like also broke down and that we'd have to travel like by different means across the sea yeah the gambia if you're ever interested in traveling to um a unique place in the world that was definitely the most out there experience I've had. Also, I mean, because there are many people who go to the Gambia and just stay in their like resorts, you know, and never actually see the Gambia. 
um, for like right who the actual locals and people are. But I really felt like we saw a little bit more of how the Gambian culture is, you know, um, and and juxtaposed with the resorters of, you know, like these people who go and just live in their like all inclusive, you know, resorts. We saw some of that too. So mm. it was definitely an interesting travel experience. <laughs> yeah. So anyone listening hit up Jess, she'll be your travel guide everywhere. Um, I love it. Those are great. So I guess to kind of transition then into the overarching kind of theme of this conversation, I think we initially started out really thinking about um, change and like the young adult season of life. I guess I'm trying to think about how that kind of initiated and I think it was reflecting on your own kind of experience in those early years, but then also working with young adults in a college environment, recognizing that a lot of their kind of questions directed towards you were like focused on that as well. And I guess I wondered if you could kind of speak to the, to the overall theme and like what are some of those main points that we're going to hit on today? Yeah, so I think I, am so, I love working with college students because I feel like that was such a poignant period in my life in, in going through all of the, like, right, the big questions in life. I felt like I wrestled with all of them. I don't feel like I had a lot of very, like, simple, straightforward things, you know. I, I didn't know what I wanted to major in for a while. Like, I flip-flopped back and forth on what I wanted to study. You know, it took me a while to figure out you know, where I wanted to study abroad, like, right, all of these big experiences, like I spend a lot of time deliberating on. And maybe that's just a facet of my personality that like, um, I was talking about this with some friends the other day, I don't use my gut very often. I'm a very like, weigh your pros and cons, like, you know, weigh all the different options, like sit with the, you know, different paths you can take. Um, and so maybe I overthink some of it. But I definitely, you know, I just feel like I was wrapped up in a lot of discernment throughout my own college experience. And so I sought out a lot of mentorship around discernment. I took a class my senior year um, because I was, most people were starting to get job offers and stuff like that, you know, by spring, early spring semester of my senior year. And I was still figuring it out. Like I still had not a lot of clue what I wanted to do. Um, I was leaning towards doing a year of service, but hadn't, decided where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do and stuff like that. So I just felt like, you know, a lot of other people were making all these decisions and I just didn't even understand how to make big decisions. You know, they felt like just such massive decisions. Um, so I saw a, a lot of mentorship. I took a class on discernment um, my senior year and, and just continued to sort of, you know, every step of the way learning how to make decisions, I think, you know, and, and have gone through a lot of, I think some trial and error, um, in, in decision-making, um, um, and just like, yeah, figuring out these big, big life steps, but really have appreciated then getting to share some of that wisdom, you know, as, as some of those mentors were so influential for me in making these big decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I've felt a great honor and privilege to get to share that with students because I recognize that, that, that it feels like these are huge decisions to make, you know, between in your early twenties. Um, and so, yeah, getting to, to just walk with students has been a really wonderful experience and has helped me gain more wisdom in what it means to discern all while I'm also still, you know, now in my late twenties, but still also feel like I'm constantly making big decisions um, about my life and then continuing to learn from people who are no longer in their twenties, people who are in their, you know, even 
you know, 40s and 50s and 60s who are also telling me, yeah, that's never going to stop. And I've learned that's kind of like the secret of your, you know, young adulthood. You feel like this is it. Like you're going to just make all these big decisions and then like figure it out. And you hope you figure it out before you get into your 30s or whatever. Um, But then you realize that like, this is just learning how to live. And this is what life means is to make decisions. So um, yeah, so that's, I think, sort of what I've, what I'm hoping we can talk more about is just this idea of, of being in your young adult and being sort of like really in the practice round of like life's decision making. This is the first time I think a lot of people are making those decisions by more or less by themselves. Obviously, I think that all decisions are made ultimately in community. I think they should be. But right, you, you don't have your parents quite making as many of these decisions for you now. Um, yeah. So it feels like a new experience. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely can, I think when we even like initially talked, I can relate so much to that having anxiety just because I feel like I need to have it all figured out. And I think that's everyone though, just like the pressure to yeah, I think we labeled it as like having that stability, but like yearning for like adventure and constant change and like trying to figure out like what grounds you in those transitions. And I think you will speak really well to that during this conversation. And I remember even to like at UD, like something Father Jim Fitz um, sat on like a retreat. It was young adults, you're always going to make these plans and they're only going to be plans and your, your vocation journey is going to be the most surprising thing in this life because it's going to take you places like you you never thought you would go and I was like I just need to like remind myself that you know definitely and I think like one of the biggest and best pieces of advice that I got in terms of doing this discernment is that you're only ever discerning what's next like you can never predict like the forever like it's just unrealistic that anybody's one decision is going to you know be static because that's not life like right life is always growing and changing is is very dynamic and so um you know you're you're only ever making a decision for what's going to come next mm-hmm. and you're not making a decision for forever um and that was that like really for somebody who does have anxiety around this and i know like you said so many people do um it really helped me feel a little bit like less pressure right because it wasn't like you know, if you, if you make this decision, you're stuck with it forever. It's right. It's usually, there's going to be more choices to make later on, which can sound overwhelming, but is also very freeing to know that like, if this choice isn't, you know, your best, it doesn't turn out the best. Like you'll have opportunities to make more choices that will allow you to, to continue to grow and and find joy and and meaning. Yeah. And I do feel like early on, like a lot of the choices we have, like it's usually not like deciding between a really great thing and a really terrible thing. Like a lot of times it's like, Oh, I have a lot of really awesome options and it's trying to discern and distinguish like what kind of best just fits in that, in that moment and feels kind of settling in a way. Um, Yeah. That's actually one of my mentors at Notre Dame told me that, that very thing. And that I think is is something I always make sure I tell students Mm -hmm. is to always first approach discernment with gratitude because it, right, like you said, you have multiple options, and and that's a good thing, like, right, that means that, like, you are blessed with an abundance of possibilities for joy in your life, Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know, you know, what that might look like, you know, but yeah, if you had a really bad option, like, 
it's not really a hard discernment choice. <laughs> if you know, like if, if one is miserable and just like not good and one is great, that's like a pretty easy choice. Um, mm-hmm. So while discernment is like difficult because there are good choices, like I think approaching the whole process of discernment with gratitude helps you really enjoy the experience of discernment like where you can, you know, I still Mm -hmm. think I stress out over discernment a lot. And I think a lot of people do and just the anxiety of, you know, going through the process. But I feel like having that gratitude has helped me find a sense of, yeah, just like blessing in that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what do you, um, just knowing like what we've talked about in the past too, like, do you have kind of any advice um, or thoughts for someone who feels like they discerned a decision or or in a place that they just they're not happy like with with that decision and it's only kind of after being in that space and kind of learning more about what it has to offer and what they have to offer that they're going back and forth between like determining whether it's like the space is exhausting and that's something maybe to reapproach and work through how you're contributing to it or if it's kind of like almost depleting does I don't know if that makes sense but like yeah what kind of how how would you kind of move forward in that Definitely. So yeah, I can share. So I went through, like I said, my senior year of college, I felt like I did so much work in learning how to discern well. I took a class, I got myself a spiritual director who was helping me discern. And I spent months going to different like discernment retreats and like just like spending a lot of time learning how to discern and then also like doing the discernment um, for what I wanted to do after college. And so as many, you know, seniors do, um, you feel like you've accomplished things, right? You're grad, you're getting a diploma. And so you must be an expert in things. And so I thought I had this discernment thing down. And I spent so much time doing it that, you know, it, it was, it had to be the right choice. And so I decided on my, um, my year of service program, uh, that brought me to a native reservation in South Dakota. And I loved the the community where I was and and I really did enjoy, well, enjoyed some of, I learned that I did discern that teaching is not for me, (laughs) which I kind of knew going in that it was going to be a rough experience. Um, But sometimes it's good to, you know, confirm that, that, um, that discernment. Um, uh, So I will not be a fourth grade teacher ever again in my life. I know that's that's not my vocation. But for the most part, I, I, I did, you know, have a lot of good experiences in my um, service year, but I had a really tough time with community there um, in my JV community um, and, and just sort of being there. I, I think I, through the, I think, challenges that I experienced there, I learned that I had a lot more internal work that I hadn't really done, you know, hadn't really realized how much just sort of, I think like mental health wise, like I, I, a lot of depression came up that I think I had been sort of hiding and combating. And I think it's a common thing we talk about, especially at like higher achieving schools, like where I went to at Notre Dame, became really good at suppressing um, issues. Um, And those all kind of came out for me when I was in my uh, uh, service year. But anyway, so just ended up not being the right place for me to be. And I started making that started doing that discernment process of discerning leaving um, the community early. Um, It was a two year commitment that I had signed and I had only gotten through six months. And that was really challenging for me. Like I said, 
high achieving student, um, always academically, you know, excelling. So the idea, the word failure was not something I was comfortable with at all. And that was um, really difficult for me because I felt like if I were to leave that community early, I would have failed. Mm -hmm. I would have failed in in the the year of service and I would have failed in that discernment process I had done because I thought like I had spent so much time learning how to do it, doing it right, that I felt like I had somehow done that discernment wrong. That like that, right, like that obviously if I had done good discernment, I would have been in a place that would have brought me joy and this was not joy. I was not in a place that I was joyful. Mm -hmm. And so like clearly it was my fault that I discerned wrong. Um, that's where I like first was when I was discerning out, but I knew that I had to leave, um, that I, for my mental health, I wasn't going to make it. And so, um, so I left and it was crazy because it was a really hard last two weeks. There was a lot of tension in my community and a lot of just pain and, and frustration all around. And so I was very much isolated, um, in that experience, but I had felt, I felt more peace in those last two weeks of, of communal tension than I did in my, the rest of my six months there. And it was because I finally was making choices and having conversations with myself that felt authentic to who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a huge part of what I learned about discernment is this authenticity to yourself and being able to, to speak hard truths to yourself about who you are. I think discernment, yeah, really helps you know who you are because your vocation is to become who you are, right? Vocation is not to become who you even want to be, I think, right? There's like this, right? I think, you know, sometimes I wish I could be, I love rock climbing. Sometimes I wish I could be a great rock climber who could, you know, climb crazy mountains and do crazy treks. Mm-hmm. But I know that's not, that's not actually like who I am. Like I, I wouldn't actually do well at that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think, so there's a lot of, um, when people talk about discernment, they talk about Michael Himes is, has written a book, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but he has three questions for discernment. And it's, do you like doing it? First of all, you should like doing what you're doing. Are you any good at it? Um, and that's where I sort of fail on the like rock climbing issue. Like I would not be a good outdoors person to be outdoors for like weeks at a time. I know that. I get like sick of being outdoors. I love being outdoors, but I get sick of it. And my body starts to suffer after like a week. So like, right, not very good at being an actual outdoors person. And does the world need you to do it? I think that's uh, also getting back to Frederick Buchner's, you know, your vocation is, is where your where your heart's longing meets the world's great desires. And so, so that so those three questions were really, you know, starting to weigh on me, as I was discerning out of my service year, you know, I wasn't, I didn't like what I was doing. Like I wasn't happy where I was. I wasn't sure I was any good at it. I felt like I was just, I felt like I wasn't able to be very present to my students because I just, you know, wasn't because of not being happy there. I, you know, I wasn't giving the students what they deserved. Mm. Um, And honestly, because I wasn't very good at it and I wasn't doing an effective job, like it wasn't where my passions met the world's greatest needs, you know, like it wasn't serving anybody for me to be there. Um, And so ultimately I left that community, but it still took me a while to process that idea of failure because like I said, that was an uncomfortable word for me, but I soon, but after spending more time in in conversation with God and with friends um, and having real, like I think hard talk with myself, I realized that, 
for me, this, this decision to leave the community wasn't so much an exit. Like, you know, I was trying, I was, I think, you know, we talk about, you know, the doors that you walk through into new experiences. I felt so much for that first, you know, those first month or so, like I had stepped out inside of a door that like I was meant to go into, but I realized that because I didn't have anywhere to go next. I think that was the really hard part for me was that I, after that community, after that service year, I moved back home with my mom and I was unemployed um, with no, uh, like with no real plans for the future. I was, yeah. you know, just job searching and stuff like that and had no vision. And so I felt like I had left a building and was standing in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And this was a building that I thought like God had meant for me to be in, right? I did all this discernment and this was the God, the, the place that God had built for me. And I just like left it because I couldn't mm-hmm. cut it. But in that process of job searching and doing some soul searching and stuff like that, I realized that the wilderness is also a place to be and God built that too. And so, and, and, and frankly, the house that he had built, that one was now burning down. And so I needed to get out of that building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't mean that like, it wasn't that I failed in that discernment. I was just meant to be in that house for the time that I was there. And then I was offered a chance to be in the wilderness which felt like a breath of fresh air, frankly, after suffocating in a house that I felt like I was burning in. And so for me, that wasn't failure. It was, it was rescue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately it happened to be that, that it wasn't very long after coming home that I found an opportunity to do campus ministry at a local college. And that's really what jump-started who I am today. And it was all because I started asking myself the hard questions of who I was and, and where each next step was taking me and not like, what was my ultimate life? You know, I had tried to plan, you know, I was going to do this year of service and that was going to lead into this. And that was going to be this, like I had tried to plan it all out. And so when that took a curveball, I thought I had just broken the whole system. Mm. Um, but it turned out that it's just, it's a much more fluid path. I think mm-hmm. you can't just line it all up. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, a lo- very long answer to, <laughs> to, what, <laughs> to what people, to what I can say to people who are struggling with this idea of being in a place mm-hmm. that they're not happy is to take time to do that discernment again, because anytime you feel like you're stagnant, it's probably time for you to start discerning because life should always be growing like your podcast, right? If you're not going, you're not growing, right? Like if you're not, if you're not actively feeling like this is moving you forward, it's probably time to start discerning mm-hmm. a change because um, we, yeah. we don't want our lives to be stagnant. And that requires a lot of hard truths, a lot of time asking yourself the, the questions of, you know, do you like what you're doing? Are you good at what you're doing? And is the world, does the world need you to be doing what you're doing? Yeah. Um, and then, and sort of letting go of your own realities that you've created, your own, your own dreams of not your dreams, but your own expectations for, for the else kind of, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't want to say like, you have to let, let go of your dreams, but you have to let go of those fantasies really. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and just sort of sit with who you are and not just like the image that you expect yourself to be. Wow, that was one wonderfully long, beautiful answer. I literally am like so excited. <laughs> um, 
I feel like, see, you're talking to somebody who, who does ministry and theology and preachers are never known for their like succinctness. We're always just very, we love our stories. So pretty much any answer you might get from me is probably going to be long winded. <laughs> and they, they just leave you in awe. They just be like, okay, that's it guys. That's the podcast. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I love those three questions. I feel like, I hope everyone was taking notes and I almost feel like another like a good fourth one would be like why why are you even doing it and yeah. I think it's like are is it like an ideal is it something expectations you're setting for yourself and we even talked about like is it a fear of other people's judgments or quiet like reactions to what you would do next or what you currently are doing so I love that you actually like listed those out I never actually heard those three before and then the other thing I scribbled down as you were chatting was yeah deciding if this commitment that you're in is is it based on fear or is it a commitment that is authentic to yourself and I think that's kind of the next thing that I was hoping to get into like how do you sit with like the fact that breaking can be can be good at times because like you said it it almost like reveals a new new space and like you're talking about being in the wilderness like that's not necessarily a bad thing. And we constantly fight with this, like this word failure and it's so uncomfortable. And we were even talking about like how humans are so much more comfortable in fear and distractions and like latching on to like almost a negative than like moving into something that could be really life-giving if it is, if it requires like a falling of sorts. I don't know if that was a question, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I definitely can relate to I mean especially being a theology major brokenness is mm -hmm. is everything I think to me mm -hmm. um, it's really hard you know um, but Jesus tells us to pick up our crosses um, which means that um, there's probably going to be suffering um, in your experience as you as you figure out who you are I think that is going to require you to do a lot of shedding of, of all these other things um, and those are really painful experiences because we build up a lot of walls to protect ourselves about, you know, right. Like these expectations to put masks on for what other people, what we think other people want from us and stuff like that. And, and authenticity. Yeah. It does require a lot of breaking down of things. But as I often look to um, really the body of Christ for, for that model of, of what I think it means to truly be broken you know, I think of, of, of the broken body of Jesus on the cross, that, that it was through that brokenness that we were saved. And it's through the brokenness of the Eucharist that we share, that we are made whole. And so these examples, like these models the, um, of Jesus's love for humanity, I think is what really gives me strength when, when I'm feeling really just worn down. I think we talked about that idea of like exhaustion or depletion. You know, there's, there's a difference between feeling like you're giving a lot of yourself and it's giving you meaning or giving up a lot of yourself and it's leaving you feeling empty. Yeah. And right. I think that's the difference between brokenness that's like helpful and, or harmful, you know, mm -hmm. um, both are going to be painful. The process of sacrificing um, for others is, is always, you know, I mean, obviously sacrifices, you know, we don't have a lot of positive connotations around that um, experience. It's hard to do. But there's certain sacrifices that just give you, give of yourself, you know, um, with, without any sort of purpose. 
Um, which is why I love that you added that fourth question of why. If it doesn't have meaning for you, then that sacrifice is just death, really, you know, like is like a slow dying, dying of self um, without any resurrection, without any life, you know, in return. And so, yeah, I think, you know, when I look at when I look back at that experience being in JVC, when I was, you know, in my year of service, I felt like just where I was, I was slowly dying because there wasn't, I didn't have meaning in what I was doing versus the brokenness that I felt when I came home and like was, you know, back at home and feeling like a failure. I started to see a lot more purpose in that because it was ultimately shedding it was breaking all the things that I had held up as expectations and leaving just who I was. And it was like at that point that I was reaching out to people and just trying to find something to do next and found my next job, which was um, at a Benedictine school. Mm -hmm. um, and that really taught me a lot then um, this sort of second idea we, we mm -hmm. have been talking a lot about um, stability. Um, so the Benedictines are an ancient Christian order, the first monastic communities. St. Benedict really wrote the rule book, literally called the Rule of St. Benedict, um, <laughs> about communal spiritual life. That is the guidepost for every single order almost. Um, you know, even the Marianists who run the University of Dayton, a lot of their structure of their, their spiritual common rule is based off of um, the rule of St. Benedict. Mm -hmm. So St. Benedict's life is, is a model that, you know, was from the fifth century, but, you know, very much carries on till today. And one of his big emphasis um, in the community was on stability, which for me, so this is right, I had just, so I started at Benedictine in the spring of 2015. I graduated from Notre Dame in the spring of 2014. So, mm -hmm. right, I had already graduated from college, gone into a year of service in South Dakota, moved back home, and started a new job all within one year. So when I heard that word stability, it was a pretty foreign concept to me, to say the least. Um, I didn't feel like I had any stability, um, but it was something that I desired, and so I was really captivated by it, right? I had a little bit of whiplash from, right, like moving from experience to experience and just so I latched onto that word stability and really wanted to learn more about how I can do that. But I wasn't yet in the place where I knew I wanted to commit my whole life, right? And so that's, so the Benedictines take a vow of stability that they're going to live in that community until they die, um, which at 23 years old, I wasn't ready to say I was going to live in Plainfield, Illinois for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I had to figure out a new meaning for that because I still, right, I was still so captivated by that word and that idea and that desire to have stability. Yeah. Because especially I think, right, one of the concepts that, or one of the reasons why it was so important to the monastic community was that you don't just, and this is where I think I was still processing a lot of my experiences in my year of service. Um, the idea was that you don't just like get up and leave when when you're feeling like it right it wasn't it was this idea of like committing to something through all the hardships um and i was still wrestling with this idea that like maybe i had given up too soon um for my year of service and that i had just run away when the going got tough and so i think that's another reason why that word stability really stuck with me was because i was doing so much wrestling with this idea of stability and so i thought that i needed to figure out what that meant for me 
but it was through having more conversations with some of the monks um, that we worked with that I realized that the physical stability that they committed themselves to was a way of helping them find an inner stability. Mm -hmm. Um, That it wasn't, because I met actually some monks, some Benedictine monks that had moved around. We had one Benedictine monk from England. Mm -hmm. And so I was, right, so that's where I, I was perplexed, right? Like he took a vow to not leave his community and here he was in the US and he had traveled around and stuff like that um, to different Benedictine communities. But he helped me as well as some of the other monks realize that, that that practice was supposed to be a physical practice to help you get at a spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. As so many things in the Catholic church are, right? Like we talk about sacraments and sacramentals, the yeah. physical things that help us get at the spiritual realities. So this, this physical practice of stability is important. And I do think that's still a desire that I'm hoping towards at some point, you know, it'd be great to um, find a place that I felt, you know, um, home and and to establish a community and stuff like that. But until I've really figured out what that means for me, I can still practice this spiritual inner stability. And that's, I think, especially important during our 20s, when we are doing so much physical movement. It was only a year after I was at Benedictine that I left to go get my master's degree at UD. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was still actively continuing to, to sort of have physical instability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, joking with some friends, but maybe not joking, that <laughs> I had changed my address, I think, 12 times in the past decade. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Which is a lie. Yeah, I mean, right? Like, when... Anytime my friends want to send me mail, they're like, what's your address now? Where are you? Um, <laughs> yeah, which is a real thing for a lot of people in their 20s. I'm sure a lot of people would resonate with that. But so even with all that physical mobility, um, there are still ways that you can practice this inner stability. And I think that a lot of that choir requires what I was talking about, that authenticity of self. And so you do have to, you have to be broken. You have to break down all these barriers of all these other things to be able to know who you are so that when you change your location, when you change your mm-hmm. job, when you change all these other things that we inevitably do throughout our twenties, that you still feel that you've brought yourself with you and yourself, you are going to grow and change and adapt. Like I think that's normal and good, but finding this inner sense of, of who you are and, and, and who you are with God, I think is a really important element for me, especially as I've learned to just sort of navigate who I am and, and, and how I'm finding this stability. And it's definitely, it's not a perfect process and I've not, um, you know, achieved it. Right. And I think that's sort of the beautiful thing about um, stability, right? Like you don't just get to call it done. Like you Mm -hmm. constantly have to commit to it. And that's why the Benedictines Mm -hmm. took this vow, right? Vows are not something that are one and done you choose it every day, right? Like, I mean, think about, you know, um, your friends or parents or other people in your lives who are married, like Mm -hmm. they would never tell you that, you know, they made their vows on their wedding day and then it just like permanently settled. And, you know, you, you do have to choose it every day. And, and so this vow of stability, that's why they took that vow was to say, I'm going to take every single day to commit myself Mm -hmm. to becoming more a part of this community and who I am. Oh, that's interesting. that's sort of, yeah, how I feel like I've been trying to take it with myself is like, I'm going to continue to every day 
learn how to become more who I am and learn more about who I am mm-hmm. and just, you know, commit myself to, to finding this inner, this inner stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, that definitely goes against a lot of like the worldly perceptions of stability. Like the fact that if it is an every day choice, you would think it's like, Oh, one and done. Like I'm rooting myself here for the next however many years or whatever it is you're doing rather than, oh, I'm making this constant effort to, yeah, focus on the self and all of that. That's a really cool way to relook at it. When we went on, so we, which we hadn't talked, we haven't talked about it all, that you and I went on a pilgrimage together mm-hmm. when I was um, at UD to Hawaii, and, and we were talking a lot about discernment and this idea of, of, of transitions and stuff like that. I used a metaphor oftentimes because we were in Hawaii and, you know, the floral metaphor seemed appropriate. This idea of right being transplanted um, and and sort of blooming in your new settings, I think you know when so when you like transplant a plant, you know you put it in new soil. Yeah, the plant has to kind of also like decide to like you know grow there, like in the sense of like right just because you moved it doesn't mean it's going to flourish there. Like it, you know, you have to make sure that you're helping it transition it's you know um it's the right soil giving it the right food and water and stuff like that it's not just like even a plant that has roots right Mm -hmm. like those roots aren't just there the roots are something that are the lifeblood of the plant right like that's what you water and stuff like that that's what you tend right like you don't tend the things that are growing up top are are the fruits and the things that you get to enjoy but like you don't tend the, the, the leaves, you tend to the roots. And that's like how we should be doing our, you know, our own spiritual and inner growth. You focus most on the roots and that's how the, the fruits grow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. We even talked about like the, the giving tree metaphor. We're not going to get into that <laughs> a whole other thing, but like the, the work beneath the surface that sometimes you don't, you don't see as much. I love that. That also kind of made me think about, I talk about Richard Rohr way too often, but he also, he got his master's of theology at UD. Did you know that? No, wait. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I saw that the other day and I was like, how have I not known this? That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so you're following in his (laughs) great footsteps. Those are great footsteps to follow in. Um, But yeah, he was talking about the Odyssey, actually, which I'm like Hmm. still not the most knowledgeable about, but the fact that the entire storyline is based on a returning home and like leaving out and going away from home but then you're constantly like returning to that space through that that that's not when you're thinking about place and space as we have there's not a lot of stability in the physical but rather within all of that it's yeah like where where your roots grounded and it's yeah it's all focused on self which is everything that we've been talking about this entire time I think that's super interesting. So that's one of the things, right? I think we often like shift between one or the other, um, Mm -hmm. a focus on, so you look at some epics, um, Mm -hmm. like for example, The Hobbit, which is called There and Back Again is the subtitle. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole book is really spent on the journey there and they don't spend a lot of time on the journey back. Um, They just Mm -hmm. like make it back. Like the story doesn't spend a lot of time going into that. Whereas the Odyssey is really, yeah, like his return home and, and struggle to find that back home, um, which I've always felt like, I mean, frankly, it's probably just because writing, like you got to focus on, you know, one element of the story yeah. um, or the other. 
but but we really do need both of those right mm -hmm. like in that sense of um of of the there and back again right mm -hmm. um both parts are are growth experiences for us and and i think that's when i was doing my my master's thesis on pilgrimage and and pilgrimage um as a model for discernment that we're growing throughout the whole process like right mm -hmm. it's you're learning um, and navigating new places as you travel to your site of pilgrimage. And then you're also processing and sort of trying to synthesize, synthesize that experience into your new reality on the way back and even beyond, right? Once you return back home, like, mm -hmm. right, you still carry all of those experiences with you. And I think that's really an important part of um, when we look at these spiritual journeys, especially right when they're when we can kind of write like a pilgrimage is a very um, like concentrated experience, right? You can sort of identify a, like a starting point and an ending point, and sometimes like right like with my year of service, I can identify when I started that service or when I and when I ended that service, or you know people can do that with jobs, right? Like when you start mm -hmm. and stop a job, you can sort of identify the starting point and the ending point. But the reality is like the starting point is usually far before when that actually happened, right? Like, though I started my year of service in August, I spent that whole year before discerning, and I really was already on that journey way mm -hmm. before then. And when I ended it in February, I was still processing so much of that experience. For the next, I mean, even now, I'm still kind of processing it, you know, this idea that both sides of it, right, like are equally important and we enter into and out of different phases of our lives, but we don't ever get to fully close like a chapter, right? Like mm -hmm. we still live into it. And I think that's, you know, where I think finding that stability is really important is to learn how to integrate all of those mm -hmm. experiences without getting lost in the chaos of the journey, being able to find ways to make sense of it as you go, right? Um, and learn how to integrate it into who you are and, and who you're becoming. Um, because, right, it, they're chapters, but it's all a part of one book of your life. And, and it always is going to build on, build on each other. Yeah, I guess, yeah, the part of being on the way is you're, you're constantly carrying things, like you said, and it's figuring out as you move from thing to thing, like, what are those i don't say like burdens but what are those things that you're you are carrying with yourself whether they're um strengths or skills or um yeah challenges to that next that next chapter like you said mm -hmm. awesome. and especially when when some of that is heavy baggage to carry mm -hmm. you know when you can't carry it all but you can't just like ignore that that it happened right like i think synthesizing um mm -hmm. that experience is part of that is learning the baggage that you can carry right because like you can't just like i can never just like undo any of the experiences i've had they, they've happened to me but i can make some of that baggage a little lighter by mm -hmm. like figuring out right like where it fits in i think maybe this is where i big metaphors fan so this is right my travel metaphors are coming in yeah. like because i'm somebody who does enjoy backpacking i know how important it is to pack your pack well right mm -hmm. like how you pack, what you pack, um, how you organize your pack is super important. It makes yeah. a huge difference when you're carrying it. You're going to need the things that you're going to need, right? Like you, you got to make sure you have all your necessities with you. But there's a way to pack so that it feels like a better fit. 
on your back. Mm. Um, and I think that's like what, that's what reflecting is in, in your experience of the things that you're carrying. And sometimes people do unload along the trail, um, because they need to lighten their packs. Mm. Um, and you can try to take the things that you can, you know, take off. Um, but, but you really do need to make sure that you're always thinking about how, how the things that you've done fit into your life mm. so that, that you can carry them in a way that doesn't overburden you. Ah, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. And ties, yeah, directly into everything we've been talking about. We could like go into so many things like, what is the pack? <laughs> but well, there's so many levels. <laughs> and honestly, I think I'm just, yeah, I'm maybe just a metaphor person. So I think, I think one of our pilgrims on I remember when we were we were doing um, our service project during our pilgrimage, and I was saying something I forget what we were doing, but I was you know just like weeding as we were, and made some sort of metaphorical comment about the weeds in life. And the student asked me, she was like, "Is is this just like how you like think? Like you just like relate all of these different random monotonous things that you do to some sort of like theological philosophical thing?" And I was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I love it. That's another fun fact about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I would love to talk to you for hours and hours, but for the sake of time, that was that was wonderful and great. And did you have any kind of last notes that you wanted to get out? Or I feel like we've covered a lot. <laughs> covered a lot of topics, yeah. But but I really do feel like, you know, somebody who does spend a lot of this time working with young adults. I feel like it is really important, and I've mentioned this along the way, but haven't really explicitly said it. Um, building a community that you trust um, is is huge in this process of, of discerning and figuring out who you are. Um, we can never, and I said this briefly, right, but we can never do this in isolation. I think this is where um, this it becomes really difficult for young adults, right? Where we feel like we're moving in and out of different circles of friends and stuff like that all the time. But, you know, I think about the mentors that I had in, in college being so important um, and the friendships that I've had, even while we're far apart, like being able to reach out and go to, um, yeah, I can just never discount how important it is to find somebody that you can have these conversations with. You know, prayer is obviously an important part of it, for me, I, you know, trying to have these conversations with God and make God a, a, yeah, like a conversationalist with whom I, you know, figure out these different aspects of myself. But, but sometimes we need somebody to like help us sort of see um, who that, what that is, you know, and um, one of my spiritual directors one time told me that spiritual direction is just like a mirror that gets held up to you. Um, and I think a good friend is like that too, just held, holds, you know, not the fun house mirror that we sometimes look at ourselves through, but a good authentic mirror, you know, of who we really are. So I think, yeah, just encouraging, you know, I always encourage young adults to just like reach out to people that they know and trust um, to help make sense of this because we're never in this alone. And, you know, in our brokenness, like that's the one thing that we all share as humans is that like we've all been through this process of being broken in some way. We are, yeah, we are, you know, just united in this and, and everybody, even if they can't identify with your exact experience, can, can identify with this, 
anxiety of making choices or just the stress of, of figuring out who you are. Like this is the, this is the one common human journey is like self-identification. Yeah. Oh my gosh. As always such beautiful words and wisdom from you, Jess. So thank you so much. That was lovely. So I guess to kind of wrap it up, um, a few last minute kind of final questions. What is something you've discovered lately about the life you're currently building? Oh, man. Um, and then a good one out there. <laughs> oh, that's like an interesting question. I haven't like yeah. ever asked myself that. I just had this conversation with some coworkers earlier mm-hmm. that as I've come more into some of my, my greatest passions and um, that's been a lot of working in social justice issues in the church. It's funny because I thought I was a quiet, introverted person. Like I was somebody who like stepped away from confrontation and stuff like that. Um, but I've been learning that like, right, this, like the, the work of social justice requires you to have like a, a voice, a strong voice. And so for a while I like thought that wasn't me, right? Cause I was quiet and, and shy. And so um, I didn't have like that voice to give to the movement. Um, Mm-hmm. But I've been practicing it a lot more um, just by the circles that I've been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really found my voice. Um, and I think that's just been something like sort of maybe a myth that I've been busting within myself um, mm-hmm. is that, you know, and it sort of goes back to what we were talking to about that, like, you know, who you are, like, isn't a static thing. And that even like the things that you know, you were doesn't mean that like, that's your authentic self. Because I do feel like in being a voice for others, like I've been more myself, Um, even though I never would have thought myself to be somebody who is that vocal, you know, but yeah, sometimes our authentic self is hidden just under so many layers of Mm. of fears. And right, like, I'm realizing that my quietness was just was a fear. And that was not a personality trait for me. And doesn't mean that everybody is like that. But I think sometimes practice is, you know, um, makes you who you are. Because yeah, like, it's just by by doing the work of of speaking out, I've realized, like, that's something I really like about myself, you know. That's so true. And I because I am such a person that like hates public speaking. But that's like a narrative that I repeatedly tell myself too. So like how exactly. yeah. that if I'm constantly saying that that's a thing that I'm just going to live with, you know? So that's really, that's a beautiful way to look at that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, second question. Um, what is something that you're reading or watching or listening to lately? Yeah, um, gosh, I'm reading a lot. <laughs> I like have this bad habit of like simultaneously reading too many things. And I did... I took it a little too hard when quarantine started. I think in the first like month and a half of quarantine, I read like 30 books, um, <laughs> which is a little excessive. But right now um, I have been reading, as I said in the beginning, um, a lot more on this, um, on anti-racism and stuff like that. And I'm going through this book circle with some of my coworkers called, using a book called Mean White Supremacy. And it's been real. It's been <laughs> really eye-opening. It's really difficult. This work is really hard and it's challenged a lot of things that I've thought about myself or not wanted to think about myself. And I've just really appreciated that. It's been a really um, difficult, but, Mm. but yeah, just a really, I think self critiquing read and and empowering in the sense that, that I really do want to recommit myself to continuing to learn and grow in being an anti-racist advocate. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That's awesome. I've heard so many good things about that book too. Yeah, um, I really like the way it's structured. It's like a 28 day reflection. I love it. Okay. Last one. And then I will find yeah. it as you go. <laughs> um, what has been your quarantine guilty pleasure? And I know it's kind of a weird word, but like yeah. the thing that you've been like loving. Yes. So my, I mean, it's really my guilty pleasure all the time. I really love, I'm like a story monger. I think that's like what I, like, I just love books and, and movies and stuff for their stories. Like, I just love the escapism of it. Um, but I'm definitely um, a fan of young adult fantasy. Um, and particularly during the quarantine, that was like, good thing. <laughs> I needed a little bit of escapism. And living in a world that definitely isn't true, that's probably, you know, dystopianly worse than ours. We haven't, we have, I don't know, 2020 has brought us a lot of surprises, so yeah. who knows what's going to come back. But I don't think we've hit evil curses yet. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, I love it. Thank you so much, Jess, for being on the second episode of this podcast. It was such a lovely time having Thank you so much for having me. This has yeah. been so much fun. And I just, I'm excited to continue. I'm a, just a fan of the podcast now. So <laughs> I'm excited to Heck continue yeah. to listen to what you, what you do. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you guys for listening today. And thank you to Jess for coming on the show and just giving us such wonderful and thought-provoking insights. If you are interested in connecting with Jess further, I will tag the best medium for you to reach her in the post for the show as well as the show notes found below. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. It was so, so fun and helpful to hear all of y'all's thoughts and reactions to the first episode. Last time, Andy and I had so many people reach out and let us know what they connected with or just wanted to hear more of, and I'd love to keep that going. Feel free to DM me or simply comment on the Instagram post for this episode. We would love it if you could actually share this um, in your Instagram highlights um, or any social media just to get a further reach and audience for this podcast. If you don't follow me, come by and say hi. I'm at Annie Brinkman on Instagram and would love to hear from you. If you do have a possible topic or conversation you want to hear on this podcast, feel free to reach out and let me know. Or if you feel like you know someone who would be a great fit, um, yeah, send them my way and I'm so happy to chat. Until next time, thank you guys so much for listening and I'm sending lots of love your way.